Well, yeah, I don't know what the fuck Ukraine looks like. Yeah, exactly. You could show me any kindergarten with a flame on it, and I'd be like, oh, wow. Oh, no. The kindergarten is on fire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to Pact. Uh, so normally we tell a little story about our week, but just in terms of what we have in this episode, it's not tonally as appropriate. Yeah, that's true. We're going to be talking to Caleb Moppin about the Russia-Ukraine conflict mm -hmm. and the line that anti-imperialists need to be holding uh, across the globe. And you may feel like everybody around you thinks that you're wrong, but uh, I think Caleb brings the information and the optimism into this, frankly, difficult topic. Yeah, an important caveat. Uh, war is bad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, nobody here likes war. Uh, this one might be more controversial for the uh, online leftist audience, but Nazis are bad, too. Mm, and not, bad. not low-income Trump supporters in rural America. Uh, actual fucking Nazis. Yeah, people who say that they're concerned for the lives of blonde-haired, blue-eyed European children on BBC. It's really emotional for me because I see European people with blue eyes and blonde hair being killed. Children being killed every day with Putin's missiles and his helicopters and his rockets. And so, of course, I, I understand and respect the emotion. What you are outlining there is this tension between longer term efforts to apply pressure to Vladimir Putin, such as financial sanctions and the very immediate military threat which you're experiencing. Yeah, so Nazis are bad. War is bad. Newly developed communist republics, good, good. and deserving of protection, mm -hmm. and autonomy, and sovereignty. So, tighten your buttholes. It's time for pack. I'm the P. Peter Coffin. Uh, the lovely Miss Astronaut Cowboy Doctor, right here, is the ACD. Together, we are packed. Don't miss an episode. Like, comment, and subscribe. Leave us a glowing review on YouTube, Spotify. Apple Podcasts, or whatever weird thing you listen to podcasts on, we are a five-star podcast. You know, it's interesting. Uh, since the various call-ins, mm -hmm. we we have gotten up to 4.8. Yeah. We have 50 ratings now, which, good job. But uh, with, that is... Uh, Admirable. That is not five. Yeah, mission is not accomplished. Mission is is not accomplished. We We are not... A three-star podcast. We are not a four-star podcast. We are not a a four point eight. Even we're not, we're not a four point eight. We're a five-star podcast. Join our Discord. We hang out there all the time. Chat. Do some other fun stuff uh, that you can access by becoming a patron, like movie night. Uh, we also have been distributing stickers and cards for free. That is a an ongoing project. Uh, there's also exclusive content, content you can see before anyone else. So help us keep the lights on by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash pod. That's P-A-C-D-P-O-D. We've also got really great packed merch available at our website, packedpod.com. Finally, tell your friends we rely so big on word of mouth. We stream 7 p.m. Eastern every Sunday, except for when we've got interviews like this one. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, so we are very lucky and blessed to have Caleb Moppin with us to talk about the current conflict in Russia and Ukraine. Um, but before we get into any of that. 
So we took some time to collect some tweets about this event going on that we wanted to basically run by you and get your reaction. Would you be, would you uh, be up for that? Sure. We, we have, it's a fun list. Yeah. <laughs> These are t- real tweets that we've gathered over the course of the last week uh, that we just think are incredibly unhinged on the subject of Ukraine. And I, I'm going to start off with, one that just left us our mouths agape. I feel like I am watching George Floyd die again, only the country version. We all stand around knowing this is wrong, but are helpless to stop it. What can we do? Hashtag Ukraine is George Floyd. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, that's... When I saw that, I was just like, I can't believe that a person thought of that. Uh, another is uh, give Ukraine their land back. Hashtag land back. Yeah, we, thought you'd be part- yeah. we thought you'd be particularly interested in that one. <laughs> oh, did you see this one? I feel like this one really made the rounds. Um, this isn't discussed much, but Putin very much benefits from white privilege. I just can't see a scenario in which a black or brown man running Russia would be allowed to invade Ukraine with no devastating consequences. I... I don't even know where to begin with that. That is, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, I guess this goes to show you how much the woke current is a pro-imperialist current. And that, that this illusion that these people and that this current, this, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, wokeness, postmodern stuff, that the idea that that's part of the anti-imperialist Marxist movement, that we should try to accommodate mm-hmm. it, that we should really, you know, make it part of what our our movement is about and really kind of, you know, help bring these people into into the Marxist movement and stuff. I mean, this this goes to show you how much of a failed strategy that is. Yeah. T- talking about the, the, the important protection necessitated. Um, for the neo-Nazis among the Ukrainian people. um, I think that's really important for our multiracial international proletariat to really support. Calling Ukrainians Nazis is akin to calling black people a racial slur, said Terrell Germain Starr. That's another one. Well, I got to tell you, you know, uh, I was thinking about this kind of thing long before stuff with Russia Mm -hmm. escalated. Um, You know, for years, I was a communist activist in Cleveland and I would sell communist newspapers on the street. And in Mm -hmm. Cleveland, especially Parma, which is a suburb of Cleveland, there are a huge amount of Ukrainian folks. uh, And a lot of them are Ukrainian nationalists uh, who fled the the USSR and moved to uh, Cleveland. And uh, what's interesting Mm -hmm. is that, you know, the Ukrainian diaspora is largely more nationalistic and right-wing than in Ukraine itself. And long before anyone was talking about about Crimea or anything like that, I would encounter these people on the street. And they would say, oh, my God, communists are evil. Communists are controlled by the Jews. You know, communism, you know, you know, killed more people. And the Holocaust was made up. It was a fiction invented to justify what the what the communists did to you. I mean, these people were neo-Nazis. And what was weird. And you agreed with them because you're (laughs) anti-Semitic. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you could talk to these people. They were straight up Nazis. And I met them over and over and over again. I would meet them. And they were they were not, uh, you know, they had no apologies about it. Um, And what was weird Mm -hmm. was that, you know, if an average American person who's not from like a special ethnic community was walking around Cleveland or Pittsburgh or one of these cities, Chicago, and was saying stuff like that, everyone would be like, you're a Nazi, you're a white supremacist, you're a scary Mm anti-Semite, go away. 
But there was this weird, especially at my college, there was this feeling, well, you know, they, they lived under communism and communism is just so bad. You have to understand, Caleb, that communism is just so evil that that it makes sense. These people would want to be Nazis. You got to sympathize with them. It's like communism has a special property to it that is somehow uh, maybe not necessarily if you asked them, they'd say it's worse than Nazism. But in their minds, it triggers something where it makes Nazism OK. Yeah. And I mean, with the Ukrainian community, it is especially, um, you know, exaggerated uh, because of Stepan Bandera, the, you know, the Nazi collaborator who has been made a hero mm -hmm. by Ukrainian mm -hmm. nationalists because of this. They, they had stamps of him. Yeah. Yeah. And because of this allegation that a famine that took place that was very awful was somehow an intentional genocide of Ukrainian people, which is that's not what happened yeah. there. You know, and because of that, with Ukrainians, it's particularly exaggerated. But you see this with Hungarians. Uh, you see this with with some of the Polish uh, anti-communist folks. There is this weird mm -hmm. feeling that the Nazis weren't so bad. And American media gives them a pass. Uh, and, and the American society gives them a pass simply because, well, communism's bad. Russia's bad. And I find it particularly shocking from from the woke left that is thinks everyone's a Nazi. Everyone's a Nazi, by the way. You know, you're a Nazi. I'm a Nazi. Every Trump voter is a Nazi. But actual Nazis in Ukraine who wear this like lightning bolt Nazi symbol, tear down World War II memorials, yeah. <laughs> have torchlit marches for Nazi collaborators, right? Go around beating up Jews. Um, I mean, oh, you know, well, they're just, I mean, you know, Putin's bad or something. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, uh, a good friend of mine, Alex Rubenstein, has highlighted how there is this, there's an anti-Semitic themed restaurant in Kiev right now. I mean, you can read about this. There's a whole restaurant and it, it is built on the ruins of a synagogue. And it is, it is people dressed in like Orthodox oh. Jewish costumes. And it is an anti-Semitic themed restaurant where they like don't have a menu and you have to like haggle for your food and it, it is like a whole oh my god wow anti-semitism anti-russian feelings anti anti-roma people i mean it's been given just a pass uh by these people that are woke because they take their directions from cnn i mean it, it's shocking to me i feel like this is a good time to bring up that official who was interviewed on the bbc recently you were actually the one who posted that clip that i saw it from the gentleman who said uh that they were sad that uh blonde-haired, blue-eyed European children were under attack. And it's like, oh, uh, <laughs> you said that on BBC. Like, you'd think that they'd have the sense not to say something like that if they don't want to be seen as neo-Nazis on, like, the world stage. But then the guy is just like, let's get past that. Yeah, the, the BBC <laughs> guy has no fucking idea how to respond. He's like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is just utterly, utterly shocking to me. And it, and I mean, they've just been beating this drum of, of fascists are everywhere. And, and it's like, mm -hmm. it's right in front of your face. I mean, they make no bones about it. And... And we're just, you know, the, all these woke people just go along with it. I mean, it's really frustrating to see. And it shows you how manufactured a lot of this discourse is, mm -hmm. uh, because Absolutely. if these people actually had concerns, they would be they would you know, they would at the very least be neutral in the conflict that's happening right now, you know, at the very least. Uh, but, you know, they're not. And uh, it's important to talk about this in regards to January 6th, because. You know, uh, Joe Biden in his speech, uh, you know, that, that he made his first State of the Union, he he tried to link January 6th with Russia and China. He talked about insurrection and autocracy. 
But that crowd on January 6th, that was all of these right-wing extremist groups that the U.S. government has cultivated around the world. It's not just exactly. you know, right-wing Ukrainians. It's the, the right-wing Miami Cubans. It's the, the Shahs of Sunset Park, uh, the, you know, the mm-hmm. Malabi monarchists who fled Iran after the 1979 revolution. It's the Falun Gong, the Epoch Times, the anti-China fanatical religious cult uh, that, that's been around. Weren't there some Moonies there? Oh, yes. Sean Moon, Reverend Sun Young Moon's son, was walking around the crowd. This is the guy who like has the weird ceremony where they bless the AK rifles. Uh, mm-hmm. And the United States government has this policy of going around the world cultivating these extremist groups, these terrorist groups, mm-hmm. these hate groups, these counter gangs is the word that the British intelligence mm-hmm. officer Frank Kitson described them as. Um, and mm-hmm. we've gone around the world cultivating these groups. And uh, then, you know, Donald Trump basically built a rainbow coalition of these groups, right? I mean, <laughs> oh from God. all around the world who all have their short-term vendetta and they don't really care about the overall interest of U.S. imperialism, right? You know, they're not thinking about yeah. like, how can we make sure the USA, you know, dominates the world. These Miami Cubans, they just want to overthrow Castro. They don't care, right? The Iranians, they just want to escalate with Iran. They don't care, right? And so, so the USA has kind of cultivated these groups. Donald Trump kind of, you know, found them all and made like, made like a, a coalition of them. And, uh, and then they stormed the Capitol on January 6th. And we saw the crowd was full of those folks. I mean, every one of these groups that you can think of uh, was there. And you know, that's who these woke folks are upset about. Right. I mean, it's it's that's the Donald Trump movement is dominated by these folks. And and, you know, they I mean, if they're worried about Donald Trump, a lot of his base is these extremist groups. And that includes the Azov Battalion. Barack Obama would not send lethal weapons to Ukraine because he knew about, you know, there was some feeling that, OK, there are these extremist groups. Barack Obama was very anti-Russian and he c- carried out that coup and, and destabilized the country. And we can get into that. But mm-hmm. Obama wouldn't send lethal aid to Ukraine. Donald Trump did. He did send lethal weapons to Ukraine. So it, it just shows that um, they are building these extremist groups around the world. And these extremist groups are very right wing. And if you're going to be a woke supporter of U.S. imperialism, you just kind of have to turn a blind eye to it. it it's it's mm-hmm. really bizarre. And it's an important part of what's happening in the United States right now that, you know, when Donald Trump says America first, that hits home with a lot of people in the Rust Belt because they kind of notice that our government has a different agenda than than, you know, the interests of the country and that there is a feeling that uh, our government is loyal to somebody else that has a more global agenda uh, than it is to average working families in the United States. Now, we understand that in a, you know, Marxist terms, but they understand it maybe in vague nationalistic right wing terms. But they're they're Mm -hmm. catching on to a real trend, which is that, you know, fighting for the Azov Battalion, fighting for the Miami Cubans, fighting for the, uh, the, you know, the Falun Gong uh, seems to be more important than our leader to our leaders than making sure Americans can have clean drinking water and you know, not have lead in their water. <laughs> I feel like it's funny what what you described there um, was basically Donald Trump doing identity politics with the right wing. Like it's just it's the exact same thing with the exact same um, avoidance of any kind of class program in which everybody's specific grievance has to be addressed, and because they all have these just minorly interlocking grievances with certain people. They're able to direct all of them at one thing, but they all have a different agenda. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the situation here. And I mean, you can compare it to the Roman Empire. You can compare it to uh, to different empires throughout history uh, where, you know, holding together a vast empire can be very difficult. um, And, you know, at home, things get worse and worse and worse. And uh, this is this is empire in decline. We've seen it many times. Mm -hmm. 
Well, it's 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 interesting because we see a lot of people not have any idea what imperialism is as they're as they're, you know, criticizing this event from whatever side they're coming from. There's a lot of people who are claimed to be communists, Marxist Leninists, even who just have no idea what imperialism is. People who are, you know, talking about it as though it is if Russia does a thing that's even vaguely aggressive, that's imperialism because it's a bigger country doing it to a smaller country. And it's like, why are you calling yourself a Marxist Leninist? Like Lenin, the, the keystone of what he contributed was a, a scientific analysis of imperialism. <laughs> yeah. And that, I mean, Ukraine is not an independent country. It is very much a colony of the United mm-hmm. States mm-hmm. and of the European yeah, Union. Exactly. Uh, the Ukrainian government uh, doesn't seem to have the sovereignty. I mean, Zelensky, their current president, took power on a platform of bringing the country back together. He was going to implement the Minsk agreements. He was going to de-escalate everything. That's who the Ukrainian people voted for. They voted for this guy who wasn't one of the extremists who toppled the government in 2014 with the support of the United States. They voted for a moderate. Um, and he came in and he was going to fix things, but they wouldn't let him. Uh, the military leaders that the United States installed that are you know, ultra-nationalists wouldn't let him. Uh, the, the, you know, the European Union folks and the, uh, the advisors and others, they just wouldn't let him do that. And I think mm-hmm. Zelensky is in a situation where he's, you know, he's tried to he's tried to be the guy who will bring the country back together. And uh, he's he wasn't able to do it. He wasn't allowed to do it by the forces that really control Ukraine. When people make this about, oh, little independent sovereign Ukraine is fighting big, powerful Russia. No, Ukraine mm-hmm. has been basically colonized. I mean, is, is a colony of U.S. imperialism uh, that yeah. has been basically pushed into a confrontation with Russia um, at their expense. I mean, look, if you really love the Ukrainian people, you should hate what NATO has done to them. They have nudged them, pushed them Absolutely. into this confrontation. Exactly. With a very powerful country, and now they're sitting back and watching their watching them get killed, uh, and they're they're then saying, "Oh, look, see, Russia's so bad," and they're using them for propaganda. It's it's sickening. It's really really sickening. And, and while we're on that topic, Caleb, if you wouldn't mind just giving the audience a, a historical overview of of what has led up to this current conflict and how you see the details of what's happening now. Sure. Well, after the fall of the Soviet Union, things got really bad in that whole region. Uh, You know, the restoration of capitalism, Mm -hmm. the economic dismantling of socialism caused a huge drop in life expectancy. Millions of people died. Um, And it was bad in Russia. And it was was particularly bad in Ukraine. Excuse me. Uh, In Ukraine, for example, uh, you know, there were cities that only had electricity for like four or five hours a day. So like 100 percent renewable energy. (laughs) women were sex trafficked a huge rise in organized crime and you know i mean it was a devastating period and you know out of the fall of the Soviet Union, a treaty was basically signed uh, that, uh, you know, Ukraine is a, is a country that has many different ethnic groups in it and many different peoples with different feelings about who they are. And the borders of Ukraine are not very clear, as Putin talked about. Right. I mean, you know, under the under the Russian Empire, under the czar, there was no Ukraine. There was just a part of the czarist empire they called Ukraine that had kind of its own language and people there had their own customs and they were considered Ukrainian, uh, you know, and that that was part of the empire. But when Lenin came to power, And when the Bolsheviks came to power, they were really into the right of nationalities to their own territory, self-determination, their own language. And then during the Russian Civil War, Lenin added more territory to what is considered Ukraine. Stalin added some more territory to it. And then after Stalin died, Khrushchev, uh, 
he added, you know, Crimea to Ukraine. Crimea had been considered part of Russia. And it was, you know, they were all part of the Soviet Union. So it would be like Florida's borders changing or Ohio's borders changing. We're all part of the United States. It's just kind of a reshuffling of what district gets what. Mm -hmm. But after the Soviet Union <laughs> fell, that all got messy and confusing. So a treaty mm -hmm. was signed that that basically said that this is what Ukraine's borders are going to be. Ukraine's going to give up its nuclear weapons and give them to Russia. Crimea will remain part of Ukraine, but Russia will get to keep their big, huge military base there. And the people in the eastern regions who are Russian speaking and sympathize with Russia, they'll get representation in the government. The people in the western regions that consider themselves to be more like the European Union countries and are somewhat hostile to Russia, they will get representation in the government. And that's how it'll move forward. And that was a good arrangement, right? Um, and you had various Ukrainian leaders who came in. Some leaned closer to the United States. Some leaned closer to Russia. But overall, it was kind of, you know, it was kind of this, this agreement that, uh, you know, it was kind of a compromise. And that was how it worked. Um, and then in 2014, they had a president, Yanukovych, who was basically, he was kind of facing a decision. Should I make a financial deal with Russia or should I make a financial deal with the European Union? And it looked like he was starting to lean toward making a financial deal with Russia. So the United mm -hmm. States fomented this movement called Euromaidan that involved a lot of these far right Nazi extremist groups in the West that really mm -hmm. hate Russia, that have a narrative where the Nazis were right in World War II. And they protested and they occupied, occupied Maidan Square and Victoria Newland, who was the, you know, the, the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, was supporting them and directing them. And uh, they overthrew the Ukrainian government and the elected president, Yanukovych, was toppled. Um, and what's amazing mm -hmm. was they actually leaked a phone call, you know, that, that, that was, you know, there was a phone call that was recorded that got leaked where the U.S. ambassador, Victoria Nuland, picked the new president. She actually picked who would be the president. She's on the phone. She's like, I like Yats. She actually picked who the new president would be after this color revolution in 2014. That's how blatant it was uh, an act of the United States picking the new government. So in 2014, this fanatically anti-Russian government takes power in Kiev. Um, well, the people in the western parts of the country who speak Russian as their language, uh, who who you know who basically feel the fall of the Soviet Union was a bad thing, that vote for the Communist Party—that's the party they vote for—they um, got quite upset about that. And you know, Crimea, this this peninsula where there's the only thing there is this huge Russian military base, and everyone who lives there, you know, does business with the Russian military base or something. They got very worried because you know that Russian military base, if it left, they'd all lose their jobs and lose everything. So they voted to join with Russia and they they became part of Russia. Um, and the people in the eastern regions, seeing that their language was being outlawed, they were outlawing the teaching of the Russian language in schools um, and seeing that World War II memorials were being torn down. Uh, they declared independence uh, from Ukraine and they declared the Donetsk People's Republic and the Lugansk People's Republic. And this is the Don Donbass region. Very high voting ratio, too. Like, if you look into the results of that, it was all near unanimous. There's a large discrepancy between what Ukraine says and what their own republics say in yeah. terms of the voter it, turnout. If, if you go, if you want to listen to Donbass voices, you really, <laughs> you really got it. Yeah, I mean, there's a country with a lot of different ethnic groups and a lot of different, you know, feelings. And one one group that is very extreme and opposed to the other group is like somehow forced into power. 
then that other group would be like, okay, we're leaving. And they would vote to basically mm -hmm. have independence. Mm -hmm. So in response to that, Russia did not recognize the Lugansk People's Republic and the Donetsk People's Republic. Russia, you know, they did recognize Crimea and Crimea joined with Russia, but Russia waited and they said, no, we want, we want there to be negotiations. And so in 2015, like a year after this coup, they had the Minsk agreement where the Ukrainian government and the people in Donetsk and Lugansk, they met and they reached an agreement in 2015, which was that tensions would gradually deescalate. Um, they would gradually begin the process of reintegrating these people in the eastern regions back into the government. They would legalize their political parties like the Communist Party and the Party of Regions. Uh, they would uh, allow the speaking of the Russian language in schools and that this was all going to deescalate. And that was the idea. And that's what Russia wanted. Russia was not recognizing them then. And Russia was not trying to, to, you know, make them part of Russia or make them part of not part of Ukraine anymore. Russia was very happy about the Minsk agreement. Um, mm -hmm. But the Minsk agreement was not implemented. And since 2014, these areas that declared independence have been shelled. Uh, they have been, you know, bombed. Uh, they have, they've been using drones and been carrying out drone strikes against the people there. They've implemented a food blockade, so they can't import food from anywhere except Russia, basically. So they're buying all their food from Russia because no food can, can go to the eastern regions. The military continues, the Ukrainian military has continued to attack these regions. Um, and the death count is about 14,000, 14,000 people have been killed over the course of the last eight years in these eastern regions. They actually have a memorial to all the children, all the people under the age of, of, of 18 who have died. Uh, and I keep tweeting out the picture of this memorial because mm -hmm. it's like, you know, you know, we're hearing about Ukrainians who are suffering right now. Well, what about the people who've been suffering for eight years with this relentless bombing and attack these people on the, in the eastern regions have endured? Um, so for eight years... Russia keeps saying implement the Minsk agreement, implement the Minsk agreement, and the Ukrainian government doesn't do it. They don't implement the Minsk agreement. Fast forward to about a month ago, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, American officials start saying, Russia's about to invade Ukraine. And Russia's like, no, mm -hmm. we're not. And then they're like, no, no, Russia's about to invade Ukraine. And, and Russia's like, we really aren't going to invade Ukraine. And they're like, no, Russia, you're having military exercises in Belarus. And they're like, we do that every year. We told you about this. Like, what, what's going on here? And they're like, mm -hmm. no, no. The USA just starts beating the drum. Russia is going to invade Ukraine. And Russia's like, okay. Russia actually starts moving troops away from the border saying, look, we're not going to invade Ukraine. And just to reassure you, we're going to move our troops away from the border so that you don't think we're going to invade Ukraine. And so as soon as Russia starts moving its troops away from the border, then all of a sudden bombs started going off. Bombs started going off in Lugansk. Bombs started going off in Donetsk. All the shelling, you know, where they're, they're firing mortars and all that just started, you know, piling in. And it was really clear what the United States was doing. They were faking out the world so they could set the stage for, uh, you know, an effort to just take out Lugansk and Donetsk. They've been waiting all this time. And the idea was that Russia would be so intimidated by these, you know, this, these allegations that, you know, they're about to invade Ukraine, that when this offensive happened, they wouldn't be able to, to move in and, and stop these people from being slaughtered. Um, well, Russia said, no, we are going to move in and protect these people. So first, Putin recognized the governments of, of Lugansk and Donetsk. He declared, he said, you guys have been asking for our recognition for eight years. Mm -hmm. Well, you are now we recognize you as countries. Um, and he was immediately joined by all the communist world, practically. Venezuela, Nicaragua, mm -hmm. Cuba, Iran recognized them. The Houthi revolutionaries in, in Yemen recognized them. Uh, you know, uh, North Korea has recognized them. Yeah, but they're all bad. 
Right. Right. As, as recognize the people's republics. And then because these governments that they now recognize are asking for their protection, Russia moved its military in to protect the Donetsk People's Republic and the Lugansk People's Republic. And as you know, the Ukrainian military continued to attack them, Russia then moved its forces into the rest of Ukraine to take out the Ukrainian military and say, you're not going to you're not going to attack these people. And so Russia is now engaged in uh, they call it an anti-Nazi operation. They're basically taking out uh, the you know, they have this extremist Nazi division of the Ukrainian military called the Azov Battalion, 125,000 fighters that march into battle with Nazi uniforms. They're they're dismantling the Ukrainian military. Um, and they are actually striking with quite a bit of precision. Uh, you know, they are they are making a point of only striking military targets. And I, I mean, hmm. I, I have, you know, there's, a, there's somebody in the Center for Political Innovation who is Ukrainian, and he's talked about how, like, it is amazing how much, how how precise uh, the Russian military is striking, how they are like, they are going out of their way to avoid targeting civilian areas, how the Azov Battalion and these extremist forces are now setting up their rocket launchers in communities because they know Russia won't strike neighborhoods where people live. Um, and I mean, it's, it's shocking. Um, and this Ukrainian military uh, that, you know, they were forced to buy all this military equipment from NATO. They've spent billions of dollars buying all this military equipment from NATO. It's all been blown to bits. It's all been blown to shreds. The Russian military is very, very effective. They knew they know what they're doing. And Russia is moving in. And Russia is saying, we will move out of Ukraine if you can give up all these U.S. weapons that you've been piling into the country, number one. And number two, if you can leave Lugansk and Donetsk alone. That's all they want. If they will agree to give up the, the huge amount of weapons and the possibility they might join NATO, the U.S. military alliance. And if they will if they will leave Donetsk and Lugansk alone and just recognize these people, I guess you're not going to implement the Minsk agreement and let them be part of your country. So let them be let them have their own country. Then Russia will move out. This is not you know, this is not an invasion in the sense that like Russia is not trying to like set up a colony in Ukraine. That's not what they want to do. Right. They simply want to make sure that, that the killing of these people in these two regions stops. They want to stop that killing, um, number one. And they want to make sure that this government that has been installed by the United States on their border doesn't continue to escalate, you know, the, the threats against them, right? Because, they, I mean, the, the mm -hmm. talk that they might get nuclear weapons, the talk that they might join the NATO alliance and have a huge, start having huge military bases there. Russia doesn't want that on their border. The way Russia is acting, I, again, it's awful. People are dying. It, it's People are suffering. And I recognize that. And I'm not celebrating that fact. But the reality mm -hmm. is Russia has waited eight years. You know, I, I hate to make this analogy, but, you know, every time, you know, you know, Israel goes into to Gaza. Right. You know, they'll, they'll, Israel will get hit with like mm -hmm. three rockets, you know, and then they'll they'll go into Gaza and they'll just slaughter hundreds of people, you know, and their response will be, well, Israel has the right to defend itself. And it'll be like three Israelis got killed. Maybe two Israelis got killed. Well, this situation has gone on for eight years in Donetsk and Lugansk. And it's not one or two people that have gotten killed. It's 14,000 people that have gotten killed. And Russia has waited and waited and waited seven years for this agreement to be implemented. It's not happening. And so finally, after seven years, after 14,000 dead, Russia is saying, OK, this is going to stop. And we're going to go in and we're going to dismantle your military. And we're going to make sure that these people on the eastern regions who we wanted to be part of Ukraine, we didn't want them to be independent. We wanted them to be part of Ukraine you really are not going to let them be part of Ukraine. Now we're mm -hmm. going to protect them and you're not going to slaughter them anymore. And I don't think Russia is in the wrong in doing this. I think that that they are correct. That's not mm -hmm. to say that there aren't atrocities in, in war, right? And that's not to say that there aren't innocent people who've been hurt, right? I don't deny Absolutely. that. 
but but overall russia is right and the ukrainian government is wrong and and that's just if you're an honest anti-imperialist you have to look at it this way and the world communist movement gets this the communists all over the world are are, are honoring donetsk and lugansk it's only like western hipster liberals who, who don't get this it's, it's kind yeah. of shocking to me to see how much distance there is between the world communist movement and American hipster liberals who think they're communists. It's shocking to me. Uh, just to put it in perspective, the 14,000 deaths are in these tiny little regions. Right. Uh, like, we like to measure things in the United States based on how many 9-11s they were. And that was 3,000 people that died in a nation of 330-plus million people. This right. is a tiny region, and they've had almost five times as many deaths. Yeah. So for eight years, the Donbass region has been under attack by the Ukrainian military. And so what was it a month ago that sort of triggered this, this special operation for denazification of the Ukrainian military? Like, what was that? The breaking point. Well, okay. So you have to understand the chain of events, which is first the United States and the British and other EU countries started making all this noise that Russia was about to invade Ukraine. And that was mm -hmm. setting the stage we now know for what happened, which is, I believe it was, you know, two Fridays ago, the bombings and attacks that they've gotten suddenly escalated. And people in those regions started getting on buses and fleeing for their lives because they knew what was happening. But it's also important to note that there are other factors, one being that Ukraine has said that they want to join the NATO coalition. Mm -hmm. And NATO is formed to you know, stop the spread of communism in, in mm -hmm. Western Europe. It was, it's an anti-communist Cold War relic, basically. Um, and the way it works is that you know, if any NATO country is attacked, all of them immediately get involved. And when the Soviet Union fell, Russia was promised that NATO would not move one inch eastward. That's what James Baker uh, told Gorbachev. Mm -hmm. And that's what the German foreign ministry also said when Germany, you know, became reunified. They said NATO would not move one inch eastward from from Germany. And that isn't what has happened. A number of countries have, 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 have joined NATO since then. And NATO has expanded and, and it's 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 expanded right up to Russia's borders. And so the USA starts piling weapons into there. And now the government of Ukraine, this fanatically anti-Russian government, it, it says, oh, well, we would like to join NATO. And Russia is like, right. wait a second. You're already a government uh, you know, of extremists who hate us. Um, and then there's also been talk of, you know, Ukraine said, you know, we gave up the nuclear weapons the Soviet Union had that were in Ukraine. We gave them up at the end of the Cold War. But who says that we have to not have nuclear weapons? They're talking about getting nuclear weapons. Can you imagine this? You know, this, this fanatically anti-Russian government right on their border. They're not only talking about joining the U.S.-NATO alliance and, you know, and, and hosting U.S. troops and military bases. They're announcing they mm -hmm. might be considering getting nuclear weapons. Um, so Russia's already kind of upset about that. Plus, you have the ongoing slaughter of the people in these eastern regions. All of this leads to a situation where Russia sees this onslaught coming to the people in the eastern region. They say, no, this stops today. This stops. This ends. We're moving in. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what's going on. And they have said over and over again, they don't want to occupy. Russia's got their own problems. OK, they've got problems with drug dealers. They've got terrorists that operate in the Muslim regions of the country. They've got their own problems. They don't want to occupy Ukraine. This is not like they sat there and they want, oh, they want Ukraine to be part of Russia. This is not territorial expansionism by any means. Wait, 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 wait. Joe Biden said Vladimir Putin is uh, trying to reestablish the Soviet Union. You're telling me that's that's not correct? That That is not <laughs> correct. Um, I, I just wanted to summarize for 
our audience, the the things leading up to these events, it's the combination of the escalation of what was happening in the Donbass region over the past eight years with NATO influence intertwined in that and coinciding uh, alongside the Western countries generating this media narrative preceding Mm -hmm. that, that this was going to happen, coercing Russia into a situation where that has to happen in protection of the Donbass region. Yeah. When we're talking about this denazification, whenever I bring up the fact that they're the Azov Battalion, this neo-Nazi paramilitary group has been officially integrated into the Ukrainian National Guard. Um, People say things like, well, that's like a thousand people. That's just a thousand people. It's not like it's like, well, all right. So you're telling me somebody outwardly identifying as a neo-Nazi, let's officially integrate them into the United States government somewhere. That's not the only thing you talk about for an entire year. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it's not only a thousand people. I believe it's 125,000 is a number that I've heard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, frankly, if if you're going to have an organization that is friendly to neo-Nazis, it doesn't matter if you identify as a neo-Nazi organization or not. Well, yeah, and then they lose their fucking minds when some Republican who doesn't support, I don't know, abortion or something, they're they're a Nazi. You know, yeah, they're a Nazi because because they have the wrong tick in the wrong box on one thing. No, and you, 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 race. you, Caleb brought up this. I, I had no idea about this anti-Semitic restaurant you're talking about yeah. that just because that's that's not the Azov Battalion. That is a restaurant. That's an institution that is and embedded uh, in the culture. Yeah, and exactly. Reflective of it. Exactly. And, and reflective embedded. of the superstructure emerging in. Ukraine. Exactly. And then further beyond that, you can't have a communist party in the country. Like So, so like a lot of people like to say, well, it's not representative of the country. It's like, I, I just don't get it. You know, in the United States, there are a lot of uh, immigrants from Latin America. There are a lot of people for, who are from a Latino or Chicano background. Imagine mm-hmm. if you had a, a governor, a right wing Republican governor in Texas or Arizona or New Mexico or something like that. And he started fining people. And giving people tickets mm-hmm. and taking them to court for speaking Spanish. Do you think that that would be tolerated here? Do you think that that would be accepted? No. <laughs> yeah, that's what the Ukrainian government is doing to Russian speakers. How can people not see this? It's 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 there's 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 some element of the cynicism and there's some element of the naivety. I think you get there are two kind of they sound like polar opposite things, but they're landing in the exact same place, and it's just bizarre. It shows you how much U.S. imperialism dominates and controls these woke circles. They I mean, this is I mean, Mm -hmm. this is that's who runs this. Wokeism serves imperialism. I mean, and that's blatantly clear. But as much as we were focusing on the negative here, it's kind of like, you know, it's like I think what is it? One of those comedians, he said something like when he got divorced, everyone said to him like, oh, you know, that was so sad. And he said, actually, no, it was really sad for a long time. And now things have kind of gotten better because we finally got divorced. It's like that's kind of how you can look at this situation, right? That yes, Uh this is bad, but it's been bad for a long time. And what's happening here is Russia is putting an end to it. And in a way, 
there's something kind of optimistic about sure. this, you know, because, for example, the SWIFT system, right? That was the threat that, that you know, Biden and all of them made. Well, if Russia does this, we're going to kick them out of the banking system. There will be no banking transactions between Russia and any any Western capitalist country. Basically. Yeah, but imperialism is when a country does a bad thing with weapons. That's all it is. It, it has nothing to do with the banking system. The, like, why are you paying attention to that? Right, right. But it's Sorry, like, I just had to say that. that, that the, I'm so tired that was the of threat that, that we will just completely throw Russia out of the banking system if 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 this escalates, right? Well, you know, Biden came out uh, recently um, and uh, they asked him at his press conference, you know, is, are you going to throw Russia out of the banking system? And you got this, well, no, well, we can't, you know, yeah, because you can't do that. That would crash the international economy. <laughs> right? and, and it's hilarious because yesterday they did announce, I saw headlines, different places, Russia kicked out of the SWIFT banking system. They're not kicked out of the SWIFT banking system. A bunch of top Russian banks are, but you can't kick Russia out of the SWIFT banking system because they're an important part of the world economy, uh, you know, and that, yeah, a lot of top, top Russian banks are, so they're going to have to open new banks and it, it's going to be a headache, right? But they can't kick Russia out of the SWIFT banking system because it would crash the economy. And, uh, you know, the USA is not willing to send troops to uh, Ukraine, right? The USA is realizing, you know, you know, in theory, if this had happened in the 90s, yeah, the United States would just roll in there, but they can't do that. And that at the end of the day, the world is changing. And, you know, Russia and China and, and their allies like Venezuela and Cuba and Iran, they're getting stronger. And that as much as the United States can beat its chest, I know they've outlawed the TV network that I work at in the European Union. All the EU countries just banned RT, mm -hmm. you know, but at the end of the day, they oh. can't really do that much to stop this. You know, they can't do that much to stop Russia from doing this because at the end of the day, imperialism is being weakened and the anti-imperialist countries are much stronger than they used to be. And uh, they thought they thought basically they'd be able to fake out Russia and then just slaughter the people in the eastern regions and and have, you know, and have this this Ukraine, you know, regime that they installed be solidified and powerful. That's not happening. In reality, uh, this is a sign of how weak U.S. imperialism really is and how strong the anti-imperialist countries are um, and that we've got We've got two new communist countries, right? I mean, that's what we should be happy about. There are two countries in the eastern regions that are run by communists uh, that, you know, it used to be nobody recognized them. Now, a lot of countries around the world are recognizing them. Um, and, it, you know, they're led by communist parties, uh, you know, and they're people that are very proud of their heritage and proud of the, the defeat of the Nazis in World War II. And, and we have two new communist governments that have basically been set up and, and recognized in the eastern regions. You know, as bad as this situation is, it's, it's a moment to realize that the forces of right in the world, the forces that are against the imperialists are stronger than ever. Um, and we should recognize the world is changing. We're heading toward a multipolar world. The world is not going to be centered around the United States and Western Europe forever, right? And that that we are seeing imperialism being rolled back, uh, you know, more so than it has ever been since the Cold War, at least. And that's something to be happy about. No, absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. That's a that's hundred percent. You You've given us a a extraordinarily awesome uh, account of the history leading up to this and what's actually going on. I, I want to talk a little bit about and end on how this contrasts with what Western uh, American media is saying about mm -hmm. what's happening and how it, it so aggressively pervades the ideology of just like regular everyday people in the United States. Mm -hmm. I have a friend, he's a, a smart guy, um, 
not super politically involved, but, you know, very, very left leaning, not a communist, but, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of like, oh, like, I'll, I'll get him the communism someday. It's like a, a meme. And he's sending me all this stuff saying, like, what he thinks is happening and, like, Russia is invading Ukraine. Like, look at this. Look at this footage. Look at this kindergarten that's that's being bombed. Like, I don't want to believe it, but that this is what I'm seeing. And and, you know, th- this is this is happening and this is real. How do we antagonize or, or fight against the mainstream messaging of American and Western media? And, and how do we carry this message to other people who are just, you know, directly like anybody else, subject to the ideology that's being disseminated to them as part of the Western world. I guess let me just put it this way, right? That, that you know, they have the media mo- megaphone. They've got Fox and CNN and MSNBC, and they've got control of the algorithms, and we are in the center of the empire, and they have a way mm-hmm. bigger megaphone than we have. However, a lot of American working people are angry about their conditions they're facing right now. They're angry about the lower lower living standards. They're angry about you know the the lack of economic opportunity, the opioid epidemic, the prison industrial complex. Um, and what we need to do is we need to hold the line because when people are suffering, when people are angry at at the government and at the ruling class. The last thing they ever want to get behind is somebody who looks like a coward, who's somebody who, who's going to go, oh, well, you know, and I'm seeing that. That's what I'm seeing from a lot of like even tankies right now. They just in response to this, they're going, <laughs> well, you know, well, it, it you know, it, it's technically because of NATO, but we don't support Russia. We- well, yeah, I've seen a whole ton of that. And it's just like, no, absolutely not. It's pathetic. Hold the line. You know what I mean? Just you know, it now is the time to just, it's going to be tough. You're going to be up against, you know, a mob of people that are saying the opposite, but now is the time to show people that you are serious. You know, yes, bad things are happening. War is bad, but when the dust clears, we're going to find out, look, there's already, we're already finding out about faked video about how CNN yeah. has, <laughs> has used videos from Libya and Syria and said that their video. video games. Well, yeah. Did you see the one with the video, this ghost of Kiev thing where they're playing video game footage and claiming that it's some guy flying above Kiev, like shooting down Russian fighters and shit. Right. And it's like all of these stories are falling apart. This snake Island story of the heroic soldiers who, who yeah, I mean, all of this is falling apart. Right. And if the we were the line, and make clear that that we take a firm position and we don't cower in the face of this. We will mm. win people's respect. And it's not easy at times like this. But that is what we, we need to do if we want to be taken seriously. Um, because we are, we're going to be validated. We always are. Anti-imperialists are always validated. Saddam Hussein wasn't <laughs> ripping babies out of incubators. Exa- I was just, that's exactly what I was going <laughs> So to. I think the other really big thing to mention, you already mentioned it, was the, the families in the Donbass region uh, leaving on buses and being separated and just trying to get out of that area. They're, they're claiming that that is Ukrainian people leaving Kiev. And it's verifiable because you have people from those regions that are actually getting on Twitter and saying like, no, that's not what that is. Yeah. And I mean, what's crazy is that they've monetized it, right? This is a little bit different than things used to be. It used to be like CNN, MSNBC would run footage or whatever, but now they've turned it into like, if you can find footage that you claim is from something and make it go viral, uh, you can make money. And so there's a lot of just grifters on the internet Mm -hmm. that, that are looking for any footage they can find that feeds the narrative that U.S., you know, U.S., algorithms are pumping right because we know that silicon valley is anything negative about russia is just getting pumped 
pumped forward in the algorithms. And so there's a lot of grifters that were just looking through the internet. It's like, oh, here's footage of something blowing up. I'll tweet it out and then I'll get my tweet yep. like amped up and I can make more money. And it's kind of sad and it kind of shows you how cynical a lot of this internet stuff really is, right? At the end of the day. Um, but well, yeah, I don't know what the fuck Ukraine looks like. Yeah, exactly. You could show me any kindergarten with a flame on it and I'd be like, oh, wow. Oh no, the kindergarten is on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, there are kindergartens in Donetsk that have been, and Lugansk exactly. that have been, been blown up for eight years and US media never talks about them. And that is one of the things that has always driven me crazy is that, you know, I mean, the, the USA, when they invaded Iraq, they killed hundreds of thousands of people, but we know CNN doesn't show us them. It doesn't interview their relatives crying about what happened. You know, the, the USA has put sanctions on Venezuela that have caused people to be malnourished, but CNN doesn't interview those people and their families and show us what their life is like. This selective outrage where you're outraged about what mm -hmm. U.S. imperialist media tells you to be outraged about. You know, some lives matter exactly. and some lives don't. It's really, really infuriating. And, and what bothers me is that a lot of people just kind of go along with it. Um, you know, there's a video somebody made uh, where they actually made the analogy. They said what the U.S. imperialists are doing right now is kind of like arguing with somebody who's crying. If you're in a public place and you're having an argument with somebody and they start crying, you have to stop because no one is going to do anything about what the argument's about, but they're going to think, wow, you're arguing with somebody who's crying. They're crying. You're just so mean. That is perfect. It's literally a manifestation of borderline personality. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that Ukraine is George Floyd. It's that Ukraine is a BPD ho. <laughs> <laughs> It's true because like somebody watching, you know, I mean, if you watch it, it's just like Ukraine is crying. Oh, look, they're suffering. Oh, my God. And you're disagreeing with them and they're suffering. It's like, yes, they're suffering. And the people of Donetsk and Lugansk have been suffering. And, you know, the USA has been escalating that's really this. Good analogy. And yeah. It, it, yeah. And then so that's just kind of the situation. So my my encouragement is just just tell people to look, it's tough, but dig your heels in. You know what I mean? And be ready to disagree with your friends and family about this. You know, don't mm -hmm. don't like be happy. Right. I, I occasionally I will see that from like people that are anti-imperialist. They're kind of in a battle high or whatever. And they're like, yeah, you know, well, don't do that. Right. Yeah, people are yeah, suffering. No, no, no. People are suffering. Well, obviously, we don't, we don't love war. <laughs> right. Right. You know, but, you know, be empathetic, but just be clear about, you know, look, the United States created this situation. And if we can be clear about that, when the dust clears and we start, you know, finding out how many of these videos are faked and how many, how much of this is falling mm -hmm. apart, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, we will be vindicated. Look, I've been to Crimea, you know, Crimea, this region that that joined with Russia. And, uh, you know, it, the narrative that we get is that this is a colony. Putin is colonizing Crimea. I've been there like they have built the biggest, I think it's the biggest bridge in Europe and the amount of money and economic development that Russia has poured into Crimea. I mean, Crimeans are living way better than they were under Ukraine, you know, you know, and mm. at the end of the day, like I walked through the streets of Crimea. I did not meet a single person who wasn't happy that they were part of the Russian Federation. And even there's one like ethnic minority, the Tatars, they were happy about it uh, when I talked to them because, you know, they have economically benefited from joining with Russia, an anti-imperialist country. So we're going to be vindicated like we always are. You know what they said about mm -hmm. Gaddafi turned out to be not true during the Libyan war. A lot of the stuff they said about Syria turns out to be fake. You know, we're going to be vindicated. Uh, but now is the time to hold the line, uh, you know, and, and do so in a convincing way. 
Uh, but to just be clear that uh, that the main enemy of humanity is U.S. imperialism, is Wall Street, and that U.S. imperialism is not only destroying the lives of people all over the planet, it's destroying the lives of working families in the United States. Russia is not our enemy. Uh, you know, China is not our enemy. Uh, Iran is not our enemy. Venezuela is not our enemy. Our enemy is the big banks and corporations that are dominating this planet and using their military to do so, and that it is in the interest mm -hmm. of working people all over the world, including in the United States, to see capitalism dismantled. Well, thanks a whole lot for uh, for doing this. We always appreciate your time. We always enjoy the conversation. Everybody, please go on to Twitter. Follow Caleb at Caleb Moppin. We're doing a, an event on March 12th with the Center for Political Innovation in uh, Austin. Anybody who can be there, be there. We're really excited for that. And uh, again, thank you very much, Caleb. Thank you. See you in Austin. Very good. And that's it for Pact. Thanks again for watching or listening. I'm Peter. This is Miss Astronaut Cowboy Doctor. To help us out, click like, follow, subscribe, join our Discord, leave us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. To support us, become a patron at patreon.com slash packpod. That's P-A-C-D-P-O-D. Thanks so much. Come back next week.